0: Thank you. Well, we're going to open our Bibles, all right? If you brought your Bible, grab your Bible. If you got your phone, grab your fake Bible. If you didn't bring a Bible or a phone, we'll put the scriptures up on the screen for you. But here's where we are today. We're in 2 Kings chapter 3, verses 9 through 20. I heard you guys like the Bible here, right? Pastor Chad was kind enough to let me come teach and he assigned me this text. Now, as you're finding your place in the Bible, let me explain the whole Bible to you. It's a book that is for you, but it's not primarily about you. You go to the store and there's a lot of self-help books. Those books are about you. God's word, this book that God wrote, it's a book that's for you, but it's not a book primarily about you. It's a book about God. And so as we open the Bible, we're always asking the question, What does this teach me about who God is? And oftentimes God speaks and tells us who he is. Sometimes he acts and shows us who he is. And today you're going to see God act and it's going to teach us something about who God is. And as we get into this section of the scripture, it's a few thousand years old. And we tend to have what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery. We think, well, that was a long time ago. Those people were primitive. They had different issues. We're a lot more evolved and advanced. The result is sometimes we don't, think that they were struggling with the same things that we are. And, and the truth is that things change, but people don't change and God doesn't change and our, our needs don't change. And so where you're gonna find the story today, number one, they're living in a desert. Oh, this seems relevant. I just moved here from Seattle. And uh, I can confirm that we have something in common with these people. In addition, they're facing a tremendous drought. There's not enough water. Uh, In addition, they have lots of religious groups that are living together in, we'll call it the valley. And these different religious groups have their own leaders and have their own gods. And these are the leaders and gods that they turn to when they have a problem, but a problem has come that their leaders and gods can't fix. It's beyond the ability of all of their political and spiritual leaders to solve this crisis that they have of a drought. Sound familiar? It's not unlike here if we went up to the native community. They have their own leaders, they have their own religion, they have their own spiritual commitments. Driving in, I saw a couple of Mormon temples and wards. They have their leaders, they have their religion, they have their spirituality, they have their God. Here we meet in God's house as God's people. We're Christians, we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and just as different religions and groups of people will peaceably coexist for the common good and try to be good neighbors and get along, so it is in 2 Kings chapter 3. So I want you to see that their circumstances are much like our circumstances and their differences are much like our differences and their needs are much like our needs. I wanna close that few thousand year historical gap from God's word to our present day, because this is not an old book, it's an eternal book, an eternal book speaks to every day. So if you would, let's, uh, let's get to work and see what happens when, when there's a crisis that your political leaders can't fix, there's a crisis that your spiritual leaders can't fix, and there's a crisis if you have the wrong God, they can't help either, you ready? All right, 2 Kings chapter 3 beginning in verse 9. The first point is uh, sometimes you really need God. Now you always need God, but sometimes you really need God. Amen. That's where they find themselves. Here's the story. So the king of Israel set out with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. So three kings. You know it's a crisis when you get three kings together. This is like three prime ministers, three presidents, three sheiks. They're all coming together. These are The highest officials, these are the most empowered leaders. So you know that they're dealing with the real crisis. The story continues. After a roundabout march of seven days, the army had no more water for themselves or for the animals with them. How many of you are from the military? What happens if you're out on a march here in the valley and there's no more water? Right? This, is a, this is a dire circumstance, you're all gonna die. And it's not just that they ran out of water and if they hike back to the source of the water, they can refresh themselves. The whole valley is abs- absolutely destitute. It's, it's a dire circumstance, there's no water. There's no water anywhere. And these soldiers are out marching in the desert and they're headed off to, to defend these people. And now all of a sudden the men can no longer march because there's such a drought that they're in the process of dying. And furthermore, the animals that are with them that are carrying supplies and carrying the men, the animals are in the process of dying as well. How many of you have ever gone on a hike and gotten lost or got dehydrated or you've been out in the valley and you didn't pack enough water and you can sympathize with where they are. And your hope is I need to get to water. Well, the problem is there's no water to get to. It doesn't exist. Right, the water table's gone dry. It's not in the Hebrew, but the Colorado river dried up. That's what happened. Okay, so what happens then is, verse 10, what exclaimed the king of Israel has the Lord called us three kings together only to deliver us into the hands of the Moabs. So so there's these different people groups. Uh, Number one, there's Israel. These are God's people in the north. There's Judah. These are God's people in the south and they worship the God of the Bible. In addition, there's a third group, the Edomites. Does anybody know anything about the Edomites? The Edomites descend from one particular man. Does anyone know who they are? who they descend from? Esau. You think back in the Old Testament, Esau, good guy or bad guy? Bad guy, bad guy, bad guy. Some of you, just be careful. If you're new to Christianity, you can't just go to the back and pick a name and name your kids. You gotta look it up and make sure who it is. Like, here's my kid Esau, There's Sister Jezebel, should have looked that up. That's, you know, Esau, you, you look him up, he's, he's not a good guy. He's not a good guy, not a good guy. And so these are the descendants. And I want you men to know this. Raise your hand if you're here and you're a a father or a grandfather, okay? You men need to know this. Your children will worship the God that you worship. Your grandchildren will worship the God that you worship. Your children and grandchildren will follow in your steps. So it starts with Esau, not really being a godly guy, and he has kids and he has grandkids and he has great grandkids. And next thing you know, there's a whole large number of people who are just as ungodly and foolish as Esau. You men, you don't make decisions for yourself. You make decisions for your legacy, for your lineage, for your family. That's why it's so important for you men to read your Bible, to pray, to love and serve and follow the Lord because your family will follow you and generations will follow you. Esau was not a good man. And as a result, there's a whole nation of people that descend from him that are not great people. And he talks about the Moabites. The Moabites descend from another guy who made some really bad decisions. Anybody know who the Moabites descend from? Lot. Good guy or bad guy? Not a great guy. He was a guy who kind of thought the end of the world was coming, fled with his family. His two daughters were afraid that they would never become mothers, so they waited for their father to become drunk and then they slept with him and had his children. So he had his kids with his kids. The result is this whole family, not shockingly, had some problems for generations. This was a very confused, very corrupt, very bizarre family. And from them come the Moabites. So when Israel, those descendants, and then Judah, those descendants, and then the Edomites, those descendants, talk about the Moabites, that's this whole other group of people that want to attack and destroy these three groups of people. So these three groups are sort of working together to protect themselves from a common enemy. And now their military is out in the valley and they're in the process of dying because of a drought and circumstances are dire. You get the story? You feel it? All right. Number two, sometimes God puts you in a vice. How many of you right now? You're in a vice, you're feeling it. Circumstances, pressure, difficulty, test, trial, frustration. You're starting to feel discomfort, pain, anxiety, worry. If something doesn't change, this is going to crush me. That's the circumstance they find themselves in. 2 Kings 3, 11. But Jehoshaphat, big name, asked, is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire the Lord? Jehoshaphat asked, where's the man of God? Sometimes you don't know what to do. You don't know where to go. And what you need is a word from God. God, tell me what is going on and tell me what to do. I need a path forward. And what he's asking is, isn't there a man of God here somewhere, someone that God would speak to and then they would tell us what God says. He's looking for a divine mailman, okay? The story continues. An officer of the King of Israel answered, Elisha, son of Shaphat is here. We heard about this guy, Elisha. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. That's, That's the work of a servant or an assistant. So here's two more guys, Elijah and Elisha. Elijah was a great prophet in the Old Testament. Man of God, absolutely fearless. And God spoke to him and he was God's mailman and he would speak on behalf of God. Elijah is one of the only two guys in the Bible who never died. No funeral for Elijah. Enoch and Elijah, the two guys in the Bible, they didn't die, God just took them to heaven. And for Elijah, God sent him... a. a, a chariot. I mean you can this is first class. This is way better than Uber. This is amazing. God just says, "You know what? Elijah's done such a good job. Time for him to come home and enjoy his eternal rest." Sends a sends a car, sends a cab, sends a chariot for Elijah. Elijah catches it, jumps in and then off he goes. That had to be an amazing day. Didn't it? Can you imagine that? That that had to be an amazing day. In the book of Revelation, the last book of your Bible, there are two prophets that come back and speak on God's behalf, and then they're put to death. And some think it's Enoch and Elijah because they never died. We don't know, we'll see when we get there. I just think it's awesome that God sent a car for him. Just like a gold rim, fully bling, flying off, Elijah just flew off. Well, then his ministry was left to his assistant, a guy named Elisha. And so what they say is, well, Elijah's not here. You remember, he he really flew first class. We do, however, have Elisha, his assistant. We have a man of God here somewhere. Maybe we could ask him and then he could ask the Lord and then the Lord could tell him what we're supposed to do. And then he could tell us on behalf of the Lord what we are to do. Verse 12, Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. Let me tell you this. You cannot make any decision without a word from God. You cannot make any major life, who you're gonna marry, where you're gonna live, what your degree is going to be, um, where you're going to worship, how you're going to raise your kids, what you're gonna do with your money, all the decisions that really matter in your life, they require a word from God. You and I need God to speak to us, to reveal to us his will for us. Now that happens primarily through the word of God. That's why when we need to make decisions, we're digging into the scriptures. God, what is your word for me? And here they're asking for a specific word. God, under these circumstances, what is your will for us? Some of you are in that place where you're frustrated, you're running scenarios, you're doing pro and con lists, you're seeking wise counsel. All of that may be good. My question is, have you sought the Lord? Have you asked the Lord? Are you seeking a word from God? God, tell me through your word or through your Holy Spirit or tell me through wise counsel. Tell me what it is you want me to do. They're looking for a word from God. So they need a man of God to bring the word of God. And they're asking for Elisha. Elisha's story is amazing. Tell you a little bit about Elisha. It's elsewhere in the Bible. Does anybody know what his job was before he became, I don't know, the executive assistant to the prophet? He was a farmer, he was a farmer. I come from a long line of diesel mechanics and red potato farmers. We were, we were Irish, so we grew potatoes and did bad things. And so I come from a long line of, of red potato farmers that would, would work the soil to bring forth a harvest. That, 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 that was Elisha. He didn't come from an affluent family, a wealthy family, a noble family. He's a farmer and the Bible records that he had about 12 ox. So he has a little little herd that helps him plow the field and that to plow the field, he had wooden plows. So we're talking a few thousand years ago. Now, how do you think farming was going? You just read about the soil. Probably not that great, amen? probably really hard in that arid climate and desert conditions to be a farmer. So it may have been that he was actually a poor man, just sort of scrapping out a meager existence, working hard in the hot sun in the middle of the desert every day as a farmer. And when Elijah showed up and saw Elisha and called him into ministry, it's kind of like the Lord Jesus goes to the disciples and says, follow me, you'll be fishers of men. What did they do? They dropped their nets, they left their boats and they followed the Lord Jesus. When Elijah shows up to Elisha and says, you're going with me, we're gonna go serve the Lord. The Bible says that he took his dozen ox and slaughtered and butchered them. And that he took all of his plows and stacked them up and set them on fire and barbecued a dozen ox. And he threw himself basically a farewell going away party. And everybody came around, they're like, what are you doing? You know, it'd be like, Let's say you run a 7-Eleven. I don't know why I picked that, uh, but let's say you run a 7-Eleven and a, a, a pastor walks in and says, you know what, I think you should intern at the church. So you burn the 7-Eleven to the ground. Okay? That's a pretty strong statement that you're not going back to that, amen? Right, whatever happens, I'm not going back to the Slurpee machine to pay my bills. Right? I'm moving on. And what Elisha did when he slaughtered his ox and he burned his plows, what he said is that was the life that I had And now I have a new life with God and I will proceed forward. And just like I used to plow the lanes in my field without looking back, I will now plow God's kingdom without looking back at my former way of life. I will not go back to my old job. I will not go back to my old income. I will not depend on the things that provided for me and my family. We're just gonna wholeheartedly trust the Lord and move forward together. Brave move, amen? This guy's got a little courage. So they're asking, Where's, we heard about Elisha. He's an eccentric guy. He, he's a farmer who burned down his business <laughs> to go be an intern for Elijah. And we heard that the word of the Lord is with him and God speaks to him. Let's go find him and see what he has to say. The story continues. Uh, so the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. You know, they're in trouble when kings show up to meet with a former farmer, amen? Here's the thing. It doesn't matter how rich you are. It doesn't matter how powerful you are. It doesn't matter how successful you are. It doesn't matter how significant you are. It matters whether or not you know the word of God. And these men don't know the word of God and Elisha knows the word of God. And so they have to come to the man of God to get the word of God. This should show you how much power there is in the word of God. The kings come to meet with Elisha. Elisha said to the kings of Israel, why do you want to involve me in this? He's annoyed, okay? So if you've ever been annoyed, there's a verse for you. It's not always bad, okay? He's annoyed by them, he's frustrated by them. You know why? They don't really love the Lord. They don't wanna honor the Lord. They don't wanna serve the Lord. They just want their pain to go away. They want their frustrations to go away. They want their money to come back. They want their power to come back. They want their fame to come back. They want their success to come back. And Elisha's primarily concerned about the Lord and they're primarily concerned about their comfort. He then asked them this question. Go to the prophets of your fathers and the prophets of your mother. What he says is, don't you guys have your own religion? What not you go ask? one of your religious leaders to talk to God and see if God can get involved and help you out. You ever seen somebody that's so desperate, they just start trying on various religions, hoping one works, right? Allah, I have cancer, cure it, didn't work. All right, Jesus, do you do cancer? You're you're like a free agent looking for a God. Any God that answers my prayer, any God that fixes my problem, any God that, that will speak into my situation, I'll follow that God. And this kind of annoys Elisha. he's a little frustrated. Like, What about the real God? What about real integrity? What about real devotion? It's not just about whoever will act like a vending machine. If you hit the button, you get your treat, and then you're happy because you got what you wanted. He's saying life with God isn't like that, but that's how they wanna treat God. So he tells them, well, go hit the button of your God and go hit the button of your God, and go hit the button of your God, and let's see if they can actually do anything. He continues, uh, no, the king of Israel answered, because it is the Lord who called us three kings to deliver us into the hands of Moab. This is a big statement. He says, no, that God can't help. And that religion don't work. And they've prayed to their gods and their gods can't do anything. And they've talked to their religious leaders and they can't solve anything. And what he says is, the Lord has called us three kings t- together to deliver us into the hands of Moab. What he's saying is this, God put us in this vice. God has put us into this position. Let me, okay, this will, frustrate you, but hopefully free you. Just because you're in a tough spot doesn't mean that God's not in it. God may be the one who puts you in the tough spot. Now, let me be careful. God is good, God is not evil, right? God is just, he's not unloving, unkind or unfair, but sometimes he will allow you to be in a very difficult place in life a lot of pressure, a lot of stress, a lot of frustration, a lot of difficulty where it's closing in on you and you are exactly in the place that God wanted for you. So when you're crying out to God, I thought you were good, I thought you loved me, I thought you would take care of me, I thought you would bless me, do you even exist? Or why have you failed me? God would say, you're exactly where I want you to be. We just disagree as to whether or not it's a good place. Sometimes God allows hurt to prevent harm. Sometimes God allows hurt to prevent harm. They are experiencing hurt, and God is using it to bring them to Him to avoid harm. There's a big difference between hurt and harm. God will allow a little bit of hurt to get your attention to prevent you from a lot of harm. I'll give you an example. Um, This week, I went to the dentist. For a couple of weeks, I had pain in my uh, tooth, my back molar, and it was radiating down my jaw. And finally, like most men do, a few weeks later, I thought, I should see a professional. So I go into the dentist And they took an x-ray and just like a log that was split down the middle, my tooth was split all the way down to the bone, the molar. And I looked at it, I said, I'm no expert. I don't think it's supposed to be like that. And the dentist comes in. He's like, there's nothing we can do with this. We need to rip your tooth out. God allowed a little bit of hurt to prevent a lot of harm. I wouldn't have felt that pain. And then the dentist made sure to add a little pain, you know, rip the tooth out. But how do I not, had a little bit of hurt, I would have experienced a lot of harm. Um, Infection would have set in. It could have corrupted the the jawline and the bone. It was leaning into the tooth next to it and could have compromised and crushed more teeth. I could have been in far worse circumstances. And it's not like in the moment I was like, Lord, thank you for the hurt. I love this toothache and the pain rating down my jaw. You know, in fact, I'm gonna write a song about this so all the nations can join in my joy, right? It hurt, but it was a loving gift from God to prevent a lot of harm. And so I endured the hurt, but it prevented the harm. Some of you right now, the circumstances of your life, they hurt, but God's good and he still loves you and he disciplines the children that he loves. And he's allowed that hurt to come, not because he's angry or he's trying to punish you or he's trying to um, do evil to you, but he wants to get your attention because what you're headed toward is harm. And when the king here says, you know what? God has got us all together. And if something doesn't change, we'll be delivered into the hands of the Moabites. What he's saying is harm is coming. And right now we're hurting and the hurting has got our attention and it'll prevent us from harm if we get a word from the Lord and he shows up and delivers us. The Bible's not just a book about what happened. It's a book about what always happens. Sometimes in life, we find ourselves in very difficult, dire, dramatic circumstances. Unless we get a word from God or a deliverance from God, we're finding ourselves thrust headlong into harm, and and God gets our attention with a little bit of hurt, and it puts us in a position of dependability, and it it leaves us in a position where we're seeking God, and we're listening, and we're humble, and here you've got kings that are walking through a desert to go meet with an ex-farmer because they know that apart from God, none of their circumstances will solve their problem. The story continues. The real God is greater, 2 Kings 3.14, Elisha said, as surely as the Lord almighty lives. I love that. God is almighty. Again, they had their own religions. These various groups have their own religions. They get together for services, they pray, they give, they offer sacrifices but their gods are not almighty. They're not almighty. There's only one God who's almighty and he rules and reigns over all nations and he rules and reigns over all kings and he rules and reigns over all kingdoms and he alone has all authority and all knowledge and all power and he's the almighty. And all of these other gods have failed. All of these other religions have failed. All of these other leaders have failed. And Elisha said, you know what? We need the Almighty. We need the God of heaven and earth. We need the God with authority. We need the God with capacity and ability to deliver us. As long as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, my question would be, can you say that? He not only believes in God, he serves him. There are lots of people who believe in God and try not to serve him. And Elisha introduces himself this way, he's the Almighty, I believe in him and I serve him. That's life with God. Life with God is not just believing in God, it's believing in God and serving him. As long as the Lord Almighty lives whom I serve, if I did not have respect, for the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not pay any attention to you." He looks at the kings. This is a bold statement. Imagine right now, let's say all the presidential candidates came in the room and they're all like, could you, you know, could the church please pray for us? We'd be like, no, we're not fired up about any of you. And we feel like you just wanna use God for your own purposes. You don't really wanna serve God for his purposes. Oh, but there's one guy who loves the Lord. Okay, well, because of that guy, we'll pray. But the rest of you, don't get, any, don't get any false ideas like we think you're doing a good job. That's what he says. He's looking at the kings and the leaders and they're gonna come with their officials and their entourage. You know, here comes the whole posse rolling out of the limo. And here they come, secret service. Here's everybody to go meet with the ex-farmer. And he says, you know what? I know who God is, so I'm not as impressed with you as you probably would anticipate. Once you know who the real God is, you're kind of delivered from fear of man. People no longer hold the kind of awe that they once did. He looks at him, he's like, uh, yeah, you're kings. I know a bigger king. I know a bigger king. And he says, you know what, Jehoshaphat's are Jehoshaphat, you're actually a pretty good guy. And Jehoshaphat was actually a pretty good king. He loved the Lord, he served the Lord, he took down the idols and the high places and the false worship and he encouraged Bible reading and prayer and he tried to bring holiness and reverence for God to the people of God. So Elisha says, well, there's one guy here who loves the Lord. So I'll go ask the Lord what he wants me to say and do. You may be the only believer at your workplace. You may be the only believer in your neighborhood. You may be the only believer in your family, but your presence matters. There's only one guy here who really knows and loves the Lord with any real deep conviction. And Elisha says, well, because of that guy, I'll help him and I'll seek the Lord. And I bet you the Lord will intervene because the one person who loves the Lord, serves the Lord, seeks the Lord is there. Some of you are the only believer in a particular social network or business opportunity or family structure, and God has you there because you represent him and it's not in vain, amen? I want you to be encouraged. Elisha would have said no, but there was one guy there who loved the Lord, so Elisha said yes. And then God was willing to serve. I'll show you how this works. He then says, verse 15, here's Elisha, he's gonna go ahead and he's going to seek a word from the Lord, but now he says, bring me a harpist. Get me Johnny Cash, right? Well, it looks like we got a big problem. We're gonna need a band for this. Bring in the band. Why? Elisha, before he gets a word from the Lord, he wants to worship the Lord. I need you to see this precedent and pattern. Some of you are like, I need a word from the Lord, then spend some time worshiping the Lord. As you worship the Lord, your thoughts, your, your fears, your dreams, your hopes, they're taken to the Lord and now you're in a posture of humility, teachability, and the Lord will speak to you. Elisha's got it right. If you want a word from the Lord, spend some time worshiping the Lord. And so he goes and he gets, he gets a musician, get a harpist. While the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came on Elijah. What's that language of? That's the Bible's language for the Holy Spirit. For those of you who don't know, there's one God, three persons, God, the Father, God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. And when the Bible says that the hand of the Lord is on someone, that's the language that the Holy Spirit is at work in them and through them. So as he is worshiping the Lord and asking for a word from the Lord, the Holy Spirit is upon him and with him, that God comes to be present with him, to preside in him. Here's the key. You could be rich, you could be powerful, you could be smart, you could be educated, you could have a lot of followers, you could have a lot of servants, but if you don't have the presence of God, you have nothing. These men do not have the presence of God. The presence of God comes to be with Elisha. And let me tell you this, the presence of God is very glad to be with you. The Holy Spirit is glad to be with you. If you want to spend time in God's presence, God is very happy to be present with you. And the Holy Spirit loves to be where Jesus is made much of and God the Father is honored and glorified. And if you come as a servant and a worshiper, to honor Jesus and to worship the Father, the Holy Spirit is very happy to put his hand on you and to be present with you and to heal you and to speak to you and to encourage you and to forgive you and to love you and to embolden you and to prepare you for the future that God has for you. The key to Elisha, the other men had power. They're they're kings, but he had the presence of God. Let me tell you this, there is nothing on this earth that you could trade, that would provide value if you have the presence of God. Elisha has none of the things that the kings have, but he has the presence of God, so they all come to be with him. If God is with you, there is nothing equal to that. There is nothing like that. And and as I look around, I could see some of you you come from working class backgrounds. You come from poor families. You've been out in the hot sun to make a living for your family. You wonder, God, why am I not in a position of strength of prominence or preeminence? Why are there political and religious leaders? And God would say, don't worry about any of that. Worship me and I'll be with you through the presence and the power of the person of the Holy Spirit and that will make you, in the sight of God and in the condition of your heart, a person who is absolutely filled with joy. It's a great story, isn't it? How many of us wanna be a king? It's, it's, It's better to just enjoy God's presence. There's peace in God's presence that these kings don't have. There's provision in God's presence that these kings don't have. There is power in God's presence that these kings don't have. The story continues. The hand of the Lord came on him, verse 16 and he said, this is what the Lord says. This is crucial. Our world is filled with speculation. What it needs is revelation. Everybody, well, my opinion is that doesn't matter. What people need is a word from God. There's a clarity, there's a certainty, there's an authority with a word from God that is different than every other word. There's lots of speculation. Maybe this should happen, maybe you should do this, maybe you should do that. How many of you are at a point in your life right now where there are some decisions you need to make and people are feeling free to give you their opinion? Well, have you thought about this? Have you tried that? What about this? I think, I think, I think. You're like, I don't know what to do. What you need is a word from God. And when you get a word from God, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they know me. You're like, okay, that was from the Lord. I got that, that's what I'm gonna do. And so what I love, Elisha says, this is what the Lord says. Friends, let me tell you, there is power in the word of God. And even as you're dealing with people who are not Christians, it is perfectly acceptable if they're bringing you a problem, a frustration, a question, a concern. You say, you know what? here's what God says. And to literally just go book, chapter, verse, here's what God says about that. And I'm sorry for what you're going through and I I don't know what the answer is and and I don't wanna lead you astray or give you any bad advice because I love you. But let me tell you, here's what God says. How many of you at a certain point of your life, you just didn't know what to do, but you got a word from God and it was an anchor to your soul and it, it absolutely altered your destiny. That's the power in a word from God. And this is the word of God. And so Elijah says, here's what the Lord says. Boy, there's a lot of confidence there, amen? He doesn't just quote another man or a woman. He quotes the Lord. This is what the Lord said. Here's the promise. You will see neither wind nor rain. We would call that a what? A monsoon. I've noticed it here in the valley, what happens? The wind comes first, right? And then what? Then then the dust storm, and then the the rain comes. I found out the hard way driving on the freeway. I then learned if you live live in the valley, set the weather alert before you go for a long drive. Boy, there's no traffic today, I wonder why. Oh, because Armageddon is rolling in on the freeway. It's a monsoon, wow. What he's saying is God's gonna send water, but not like he normally does. He says here in the valley, God normally sends water through a monsoon. So the wind kicks up and then you get the dust and then the rains come. He said, God's not gonna do it like that. God's gonna do it differently this time. here's what I want you to know. Every time the wind blows and the dust soars and the rain comes, God did that. God brings rain to the desert. God brings rain to the valley because it brings life. And some people will look at it and say, that's not God. It's monsoon season. So God on this occasion is gonna say, I'm gonna do it in a way that nobody will be like, nice monsoon. Instead, they'll say, wow, that was God. Again, God's got them in a place of, of real need so that the only way they can be provided for is if he shows up. And here's why God allows them to be in that place of need. God wants them to know who he is. God wants you to know who he is. And if life is just filled with ease and comfort and no trouble or trial, there's no real urgency to get to know who God is. But when you're at the end of yourself and the end of your resources, you're at the beginning of coming to the place of knowing God. He continues, You will see neither wind nor rain, yet this valley will be, what's it say? Filled with water. That would be amazing, amen? Imagine if tomorrow, tonight we go to bed, tomorrow you wake up, you turn on the news, they're like, uh, we have a lot of new lakes and the rivers are flowing and kids are inner tubing in their backyard and, and we have so much water that the desert is blooming to life and it's really fresh, clean water. It would be like, what happened? I don't know. I I didn't hear it rain last night. No, it didn't even wake me up. Where did the water come from? Well, it didn't come from the desert and it didn't come from the monsoon. It came from the Lord of heaven and earth, the almighty. He goes on. This valley will be filled with water and you, your cattle, and your other animals will drink. There's plenty for all that God has made. This is, what? An easy thing. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. Oh, and by the way, he's gonna crush the Moabites. Yay! Right? right. Imagine if, you know, if ISIS, you know, lived over the hill. That's the circumstances that they're in. They've got these neighbors that are sort of peering in on them saying, oh, it looks like they're running out of water. Yeah, the, the soldiers used to march in the desert. Now they're all laying down. They're dehydrated. They're delusional. They're dying. It's about time for us to march in. And God says, I'll take care of them too. God could provide for your needs and protect you from your enemies. God could provide for your needs and protect you from your enemies. True or false, what they need, they cannot provide. There are things that you need that you cannot provide. There are things for you and I that are impossible for us, but they are easy for God. They're easy for God. What is impossible for us is easy for God. It's impossible for us to forgive our sins. It's easy for God to forgive our sins through his son, Jesus. It's impossible for us to create an eternal destiny in God's presence, but it's easy for God to bring us into his presence forever. It's impossible for us to adopt ourselves into the family of God, but it's easy for God to adopt us into his family as our father. There's so many things that are impossible for us, not just hard, impossible, and they're easy for God. And that's what he says. And all of a sudden you realize, this God must be bigger than their God. And, And his authority must be above their authority. And he must have the capacity to see and to know and to do things that no one else can do. There's no one like this God. Trinity Church, whoever you've been worshiping, is it the right God. Is it the God who can heal? Is it the God who can hear? Is it the God who can seek? Is it the God who can save? Here you have kings who are desperate. They have more resources than all of us put together. And they need a word from God. They need a deliverance from God. They need a salvation experience and a provision from God. And Elisha says, that's easy for him. That's easy for Do you know who God is? There should be this magnificent explosion of joy in your heart. That God cares about me, that God knows me, that God loves me, that God seeks me, that God forgives me. The God that kings can't even come in comparison to. These kings have people who are following them and these kings have no idea where they're going. They have no idea what they're doing. The story continues. You will overthrow every fortified city and every major town. This is gonna be a rout because things that are impossible with you are easy for God. You will cut down every good tree, stop up all the springs and ruin every good field with stones, meaning your enemies will experience what you are now experiencing. This is all friends, the beginning of an understanding of heaven and hell. God's people, it looks like they are losing and failing and dying. And it looks like their enemies are prevailing and winning and succeeding. And God said, that's all gonna change. They're all going to be destroyed and you will be provided for. Christian, hear me now. This is as close to hell as you'll ever be. Non-Christian, hear me now. This is as close to heaven as you'll ever be. For the Christian, we die and it gets great. For the non-Christian, you die, and it is nothing but death and destruction and devastation forever. And this is a portrait between God's people and those who are not God's people. Those who are not God's people, they look like they are flourishing. How many of you, it feels that way? Why are those who hate God? Why are those who rebel against God? Why are those who break through? Why are they prevailing? Why are they winning? Why are they rich and successful and happy? And why do they have all the provision and power? And God said, the day will come, will all things change. And they will come down and God's people will go up and all that they have been enjoying will come to an end and there will be weeping and crying no more and God will provide for all of his children. If you are a Christian, this is as close to hell as you'll ever be. If you are a non-Christian, this is as close to heaven as you'll ever be. And everything is not as it appears and God promises a great reversal. The story continues. The next morning about the time for the sacrifice, they're gonna go worship the Lord. There it was. There it was. If you would have told them, oh, tomorrow, wait till you see all the new lakes here in the valley. Wait till you see all the new rivers in the valley. It's gonna be amazing. People would have said, that's not possible. Tell people, you know, Jesus is coming back. Be a new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem. All things will be made new. God's gonna wipe every tear from our eyes. We're gonna enjoy his presence forever. There'll be no sickness, no suffering, no sin, no death. People say, you know what? Things like that don't happen, that's not possible. Everything changed in the valley in a day because nothing is hard for God. There will be a day when God not only changes the valley, he changes the planet in a day because nothing is hard for God. Everything is easy for God. And this is all a foreshadowing of the coming of the kingdom of God. There it was water flowing from the direction of Edom and the land filled with water. As you and I hear about these kings and these kingdoms, all of this is foreshadowing and getting us to anticipate the forthcoming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The book, of the Bible here is not just about kings, it's about the king of kings. And it's not just about kingdoms, it's about a kingdom that never ends. And it's not just about God providing for some people in one place, it's God providing for all his people from every place. And the reason that we read the story, and how many of you read the story and you just, your imagination just starts to drift and you think, that would be amazing if God showed up like that, that would be amazing. There are times that God's kingdom breaks in to human history. And God shows up, he says, this is what I'm like. And when I put a, a people together, this is how I treat them. And we stand back, and we said, that's amazing. God, that you're like that and you would do that and you would provide for them. And that way, that's, that's amazing. God, that's unbelievable. God's like, that's who I am. Do you wanna be with me forever? Do you wanna have your allegiance not to those kings, but the king of kings? Do you wanna have your citizenship not in those kingdoms, but in the kingdom that never ends? Occasionally the kingdom of God breaks in and it gives us hope and peace and joy and longing and it awakens the imagination that one day it's all gonna be like that when God does his work. When you die, friend, you don't just go into the clouds to have little wings and wear a diaper and play a harp. That's not how it goes. There will be the resurrection of the dead. There'll be the renewing of creation that all things will pass away, that all things will be made new that the world as it is marked and stained by the curse and sin and death and devastation and destruction and demons, it comes to an end and it all goes away and there's no more kings and there's no more polls and there's no more debates and there's no more elections and there's just one king. And he rules and reigns over all the kings and all the kingdoms and he provides with great law for all of his people. <clears throat> So we're gonna end talking about that king and that kingdom, amen? And the point is that Jesus is a greater king with a greater kingdom, Revelation 22. Here it is. This is the end. This is where history is going. The little story in 2 Kings, it's it's just a, a precursor. It's a trailer before the unveiling of the kingdom of God. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. The kingdom of God will have a magnificent, glorious, clean and pure river. And you and I all know wherever there is water, there is life, there is life. As clear as crystal, when God provides, he provides well, flowing from the throne of God and the lamb. I need you to get a picture of the kingdom of God. There's God the Father ruling and reigning and seated at his right hand on a throne is Jesus Christ. Can you see that? One day, Jesus is gonna call your voice. He's gonna call your name rather, and you're gonna hear his voice and you're gonna get out of your grave. And if you belong to him, you're gonna be invited into his kingdom. And when you get there, you're gonna see the Lord Jesus, God become a man, seated on a throne, high and exalted, worshiped by angels. Kings will take their, their crowns off and lay it at his feet. And the nations will be singing his praises and out from under his throne will come a river, clear, pure water flowing through the whole new creation and life will erupt and God's people will be blessed and it'll be provided by the Lord and it'll come from the presence of God. Down the middle of the great street of the city on each side of the rivers to the tree of life The tree of life is something that God provided us early in Genesis, and if we would eat of it, we would live forever. And the reason that God cast us away from that tree is because in sin and rebellion and folly, where we turned our back from God, where we fled from God, where we ignored God and rebelled against God, God did not want us to live forever apart from him. And so he allowed death to come. And then he sent his son to die, to conquer death and bring us life. And the reason why you and I do not live forever apart from death and resurrection is God does not want us to live forever apart from him. And so upon the resurrection of the dead in the kingdom of God, the river is flowing out from underneath Jesus' throne and there there are trees and there is the tree of life. What that means is there will be no sickness, there will be no suffering, there will be no cancer, there will be no medics, there will be no hospitals, there will be no funerals, there will be no weeping and mourning and there will be no death. And this is the eternity that God invites us to. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. How many of you like fresh fruit? How many of you have ever participated in a fruit of the month club? Where every month they send you a magnificent different fruit Ooh, it's apricot January, thank you. It's mango February. Here it is, the trees each month change their fruit. Fruit of the month club, right there. This this means that God cares about our pleasure. He cares about our enjoyment. He's like a father who provides for his kids. He just doesn't want them to exist, but to thrive and to be joyful and to enjoy the good gifts that he gives. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. For the time being, we need presidents and kings and prime ministers, but one day, they'll all be unemployed. They'll all be unemployed. I don't care who you're voting for, there will come a day when you don't vote anymore and you'll be happy about that, right? How many of you right now, you're like, I don't know, do I want that kind of bad or that kind of bad? When it's all said and done, it's Jesus. It's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And all the nations are healed, all the racial divisions, all the political divisions, all of the historic divisions, they're healed, you know what? They're only healed, friends, in the presence of Jesus. They're only healed in the presence of Jesus. Nations that have been at war against one another, they lay down their arms, they come to the Lord Jesus. They are healed of their hurts and their wounds and their scars and their pains and they're reconciled and peace comes. What this world needs is Jesus. And until he comes back, there are things that we cannot fix that only God can. And the good news is Jesus is coming and he is a great king. And he's bringing with him a great kingdom. And in that kingdom, the kings and the nations and the wars will be healed. No longer will there be any curse. You and I can't even imagine this world. No physical pain, no death, no sickness, no disease, no war, no famine, no poverty, no fear, no anxiety, no concern. Your kids go out to play, they'll be fine. Jesus has got everything under control. This is the world as God intended it. This is the world as God made it. This is the world that God called good and very good before we did things that were bad and very bad. No more curse. But finally the world that God made will breathe without the oppression And God's people will breathe without the oppression. And Satan and demons and all of their works and all of their effects will be forever banished because of the presence of Jesus. The throne of God and the lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. Boy, we're right back to Elisha, aren't we? In the presence of God, receiving a word from God as we worship God. Elisha is a picture and a portrait for all of God's people for all of eternity, worshiping in the presence of God, receiving a word from God as you worship God. And they will see his face. When we have a conflict with someone, we'll say things like, they turned their back on me. That's language for enemies and conflict and unresolved hostility and opposition. They've turned their back on me. What God did in Jesus Christ is he set his face toward you. And God approached you in Jesus Christ and he came to invite you to friendship. The language of the Bible of face to face is friend to friend. Enemies turn their back on one another. Friends turn their face toward one another. I need you to know that this great God and King, Jesus Christ, he got off his throne, God became a man, and he walked into human history to be poorly treated, lied about, opposed, abused, abandoned, betrayed. And he did that to set his face toward you. And Jesus Christ is the face of God. And he comes, friends, with a smile. And he comes with his arms open. And he comes to love you and to seek you and to save you and to invite you and to forgive you and to heal you. That's who he is and what he does because Jesus is only good and he's always good. And when you die and you rise, you will be face to face with Jesus. I want that to be a day of joy, I want that to be a day of friendship, I want that to be a day of worship. Corinthians, Paul says, that now we see in part, we see dimly, we don't fully understand everything God is doing or where history is going, but there is coming a day with the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I promise you Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming. And when he comes, Paul says to the Corinthians, and you will see him Face to face. Face to face. I want you to live every day for that day. I want you to live every day in light of that day. The old theologians used to say that we should live quorum dale, which means in the face of God. We are to live with our face toward the Lord Jesus. He is my king above every kings, his kingdom is my citizenship and Home. He has set his face toward me. He has died and risen to welcome me as a friend. He has gone before me to prepare a place for me. And upon my death, I will see him face to face and I will be with him forever in his kingdom and everything will be glorious and everything will be good and it'll all be for God's glory and my soul will be filled with joy forever and ever and ever as I get to gaze at the smiling face of the Lord Jesus who sought me, who saved me, who bought me, who loved me. And so as Pastor Chad said, you need to make a decision. If we revisit and take the themes of the story of Elisha, death is coming. You're all gonna die. Whatever success, power, preeminence you have had, it has a shelf life. It comes to an end. Death is coming. Some of you are close and you feel it. Some of you it is close and you do not know it. Death is coming. Number two, you really need God to deliver you. Because of your sin and your separation from God, you are in a place where you cannot deliver yourself. You cannot fix this problem you have. Just like they could not create water out of a desert, you cannot bring salvation out of condemnation. You have a situation, a crisis, a problem, which only God is the solution. And you need a different king Some of you, you've been the king of your own life. Today's the day you get off that throne. Lord Jesus, you're on the throne. You're the king, not me. And you need another kingdom so that you're living for the glory of that king and kingdom, not whatever king and kingdom you've been serving. And because we love you and because we love the Lord Jesus and because this is the most important decision that you will ever make in your entire life, We invite you today to set your face toward the Lord Jesus. And if you've been living with your back toward him, not listening to him, not obeying him, not seeking him, not serving him, not honoring him, not considering him, we want you to turn around, that's repentance. We want you to today start to move toward Jesus face to face as a friend for forgiveness, for healing, for life, for love, for provision, for joy, forever. And so in a moment, God's people, because the truth is we get excited about this, right? Christian brothers and sisters, we get really excited thinking about Jesus and the resurrection and the kingdom and worlds that come to an end and one kingdom that lasts forever. And what we wanna do is we wanna come in the presence of God and we wanna do like Elisha did. And we wanna praise and worship God and we wanna honor God and enjoy God. And we wanna receive a word from God. And we want to do that together as God's people. So just as he invited the musicians, I'm gonna invite the band out. And just as he came into the presence of the Lord to worship the Lord, I'm gonna invite you as God's people to come into the presence of the Lord and to worship the Lord and to get a word from the Lord. And for those of you who are not Christian, I want you to go through the door to my left. I want this to be the day where you make a decision that Jesus is your king and that you want to be a citizen of his kingdom. And you have to make that decision. He has chosen to set his face toward you. Have you chosen to set your face toward him? If you have questions about Jesus, if you want to give your life to Jesus, if you want to walk away from sin and walk out of here with Jesus, I would encourage you to go to my left. There'll be leaders there, men and women, who wanna answer your questions to pray with you. And lastly, what we're going to do is we're gonna baptize the people who are Christians or become a Christian today. And baptism is all about Jesus. God got off his throne, came into human history as a man. And he lived a humble, rural life like Elijah, like Elisha rather. But he lived without sin and he was put to death in our place for our sins. And he was buried. And all there was, death and barrenness. And then three days later he rose. And there is life just as there was nothing but barrenness in that desert. And then God brought forth life out of death. So with the Lord Jesus, God brings life out of death. And baptism is where we show that Jesus died and was buried and he rose. And as you come out of the water, it is showing that you're a citizen of God's kingdom and that Jesus is your king. And as water cleanses you from the filth of this world, so Jesus cleanses you from the filth of this world. And if you're here and you're, a Christian, but you've never been baptized. Today's the day where you need to do that. You need to allow us to celebrate with you the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And some of you say, I didn't prepare, God did. He told us to get you shorts and shirts and towels, and we're all ready for you. And there's no reason that you can't, this very moment, commit yourself to Jesus publicly declare your citizenship and your king and the rest of us will now stand to worship in the presence of this great Jesus together. Amen. All right, Trinity Church, get on up. It's time to say